I believe that we cannot do diversity, equity, and inclusion. We cannot have human-centered workplaces if we are not actually centering the well-being of our people. When we allow ourselves to work at this pace without self-care or collective care, we're creating a culture that reinforces this grind as a way of being that's normal, and it's not. We as people are more than what we can produce. The value that we have and the value of who we are is that we exist, not what we can do. You're listening to A Recipe for Transformation with Krista Wilson, a podcast that helps build unique recipes to translate dignity and caring into equitable, inclusive, and anti-racist behaviors in the workplace, helping you transform them into ones that create an environment that fosters dignity, humanity, and respect for all your employees. Because leading transformations that stick require more than just knowing the words. It's about understanding why we are doing what we do and putting people first. So much of my work over the last two years in this pandemic has been led over Zoom. And so if for those of you who are familiar with Zoom, like most platforms, you've got to bring people in from the area where they're waiting into the main room. And so when I do that, I bring folks in from the virtual waiting room into the main room. And oftentimes, if it's a larger group, people are often late. And so when they do come into the meeting, I'm hoping it's because they were getting something to drink or they were getting something to eat or they went outside for a break or maybe they had lunch or they took a bathroom break. But generally, it's the opposite. They'll say something like, you know, I'm so sorry. I was in back-to-back meetings all day and the last one ran late. Or they'll tell me something like, you know what, I'm going to be off camera today because I haven't eaten all day and I'm starving. And I just want to eat before I have to go get back in the car for school pickup. Or they might say something like, hey, y'all, sorry if my energy's low today. I've been on the computer all day and I've been so busy, I haven't even had time to use the bathroom. Now you tell me, Have you said any of those things in the last week? It's very familiar to me. Is it familiar to you? Because it's so familiar to me, it's why I've been known to delay the start of the meeting to add a break on the front end instead of the regular one that I often take during the meeting. It's also why I often start the meeting with a breath practice just to get us grounded to be settled together, or why I might start the meeting doing a little bit of a stretch to move our bodies because people have been hunched up and scrunched up in front of that computer screen all day. And it's also why I ask people at the front of our meetings, are there any access needs that we need to take care of today? Like, do you need to turn your screen off? Or do you need to leave the meeting because you have a headache or you're not feeling well? I do all of those things not because I read it on a script, but because I'm, I'm actually really genuinely concerned about the well-being of the people that I partner with. 
And I believe that the folks that I'm working with are moving so fast. They're doing such incredible and important work trying to address justice or diversity, equity and inclusion in a culture that's asking them to move so fast that it's reinforcing a lack of individual care. So people aren't taking care of themselves. And that's creating a community or a collective culture that is a lack of care. And so what I have experienced is that I may be the only intervention in that person's day that can mirror what I'm seeing and name how they are at risk of being ground up and burnt up. And when I say that, things like, okay, none of y'all have lunch today? Or how many of y'all need to take a bathroom break? When I say that with care and love and compassion, they all know that this is a challenge that shouldn't be happening. And they feel it. They just needed someone to almost throw a wrench in the wheel so things could stop and they could acknowledge what they've been feeling and knowing to be true. When we allow ourselves to work at this pace without self-care or collective care, we're creating a culture that reinforces this grind as a way of being that's normal and it's not. You see, when I worked in the nonprofit and social justice sector, this was almost like a badge of honor. You work late, you work weekends, you didn't take vacation. Look at you, you're committed to the cause. And I even see it now on my social media feed. Somebody can be like, you know, I was up till four in the morning. And then they share that post almost as if they're bragging. And to me, I see it as a moment for a heartbreak because it's how we've been conditioned that our value comes from how much of ourselves we're willing to sacrifice for the purpose, for the, for the mission or the greater good. And this is especially a challenge when our cultures reward this, right? Our cultures reward us almost like taking part of this self-sacrifice. And it takes us to be a part of some other community, some other community of practice or peer group to tell us, hey, there's another way. And that's what it took for me, for some other group of peers to say, you know what, you actually need to get off that computer. You need to be going outside. You need to rest more. You need to be taking better care of yourself. And that's our invitation for you because we love you. And it's actually for that reason that I started this community of practice called DEI Dinner Party because I think we all need to be surrounded by people who can reinforce new and healthier behaviors that we might not be experiencing inside of our organizations because there might not be that person who's freed up enough or free enough, like a consultant like me, to hold that mirror up or throw that wrench in the wheel. And so we need that outside influence to say, oh, there's another way. And here's how we did it at our organization. Because this burnout is real, y'all. And it's harming us. I have four clients, four different organizations where folks had a stroke under the age of 45. This burnout is real, y'all. 
I actually was talking to a number of folks and I said, we've used that term so often. I want to actually look it up. Well, how do we define burnout? And so when I looked it up, what I found out was that burnout is, they call it a syndrome, and it's defined or conceptualized as a result of chronic workplace stress that's not being successfully managed. So there's all of these things happening to us at work, being piled on top of each other one after one after one, and it's not being managed. But here's what it also is. Inside of our organizations, there's the cultures and the structures that we experience that reinforces this idea almost that we're not human, right? That we don't need a bathroom break, that we don't need a time to think or plan, almost that we're these robots and that we are workers here to produce. And even what I just said, this last part, it's pretty radical. I've I've been called that in, in many spaces, right? But what at the heart of what I'm saying is about making work more human because we're human. And what I'm saying is that we as people are more than what we can produce. That the value that we have and the value of who we are is that we exist, not what we can do. On the tail end of the great resignation, we know that burnout is being experienced across the workforce. What I've been finding interesting is since fall of 2022, there have been a number of articles, a number of studies published that have been showing that DEI leaders are experiencing record levels of burnout. And in a number of studies and articles that I've read, it's mentioned a few causes, like isolation, right? DEI leaders not able to be in a community of other DEI leaders where they can get best practices, tips, or support. That DEI leaders are feeling the weight of shifting and changing their organizational cultures where there might be sexism or racism or colorism or hair texturisms or transphobia, these isms, and the weight of trying to shift that is taking its toll. And they're experiencing a lack of buy-in and support from top leadership that is just making the role too much to take on. In addition to all of that, we're still in a COVID-19 pandemic. If you turn on the news, we're seeing racialized and gender-based violence on a, on a too much of a regular basis. Since we started opening up our country more, we're seeing a rise of mass shootings. That's bringing more stress into the workplace. We're carrying it all into work on top of the stress of the actual tasks of our jobs. And so I found it interesting that the Surgeon General, which is typically talked about physical health. I mean, I remember as a kid, the Surgeon General was known for the cigarette warnings on the packs of cigarettes. But in the fall of 2022, I want to say around October, the Surgeon General released what was called the Workplace for Mental Health and Wellbeing Framework. Because what was noted was that the workplace is both a place that can either activate and support our mental health, or it can have the opposite effect. And what the report noted was across several studies was that 76% of us report we have at least one mental health condition. And 84% of us said that work contributes to at least one of those mental health conditions. So what does that basically mean? 
Y'all work is making us sick. It's contributing to our mental health or taking away from it, I should say. And it's also contributing to our burnout. And so what does this look like in practice when I'm in my consulting engagements with my clients? Well, I'm seeing my clients uh, pull back from relationships because they say they don't have time. So it's starting to impact workplace connections. I'm seeing staff start their workday an hour or two early and ending an hour and two late because they're telling me, quote, there's just so much to do. I'm seeing meetings scheduled back to back to back without breaks. And because folks have a shared calendar, they all see it. It's just the norm, I'm told. Quote, that's just how we do things here. People aren't taking time off either because they don't think they can. They're scared of what will come to their plates once they come back from vacation. Or they're being denied their vacation time altogether. And then there's this thing that I'm calling the unsustainable yes. Do you all know about that? Or can you feel it in your gut when I say the unsustainable yes? This is when leaders take on projects that they believe their staff can take on without checking staff capacity. And on the flip side, we as staff, when I was a staff, but also staff will say they can take on these tasks and not communicate feasibility. So basically staff were taking on the responsibility and saying, yes, I can do this task at their own burnout peril. And this unsustainable yes is creating the cycle of not great communication and this cycle of burnout and just really dangerous, dangerous grind culture. Do you feel like you're getting some amazing pearls of wisdom on this episode? At Wilson & Associates, our mission is to help folks like you promote dignity and care at work, to transform workplaces into ones that are equitable, inclusive, and anti-racist. We believe that it's more than knowing the catchphrases. This transformation requires understanding why we are doing what we do, doing it with integrity, and centering our humanity and joy along the way. This podcast is just one of the many ways we feed our mission. At Wilson & Associates, we help our partners create fun, supportive, and innovative spaces where our collective humanity is nurtured, our imagination is sparked, and we co-create recipes for advancing racial justice and equity. We know there's a well of information on DEI out there, and it can be a little overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. The simplicity lies in creating your own recipe for transformation. We aim to put humanity and dignity back into DEI and our workplaces so that we can create environments where each of us can thrive. So head over to our website at wilson-and-associates.com to find out more about how we can help you and your organization. You can take our self-assessment that can help you explore the different dimensions of DEI in your own organization and determine the best starting point to find your own recipe for transformation at deidiagnostic.com. You can find all our links in the show notes. And let's transform the face of DEI into the face of dignity together. I mentioned some of these studies before that have come out. You know, well, there was one that came out on Chart Hop as well in the fall. And it also talked about DEI leaders being at high risk of being 
tired, and discouraged. And what they noted was something particularly interesting too. And they note that because of the things I've mentioned before, in addition to grind culture, it's that they may be pushing against resistance in their organization, but also insufficient resources. And this is why I think what I'm talking about so far is why I really think this is a call to action almost, like a calling in for rest. It's a calling in for all of us to collectively name grind culture inside of our organizations, especially organizations who are trying to lead DEI. And this is an invitation for us to build a collective call for rest and for resistance to grind culture. I specifically just led a talk on this at a conference in Puerto Rico because I believe that we cannot do diversity, equity, and inclusion. We cannot have human-centered workplaces if we are not actually centering the well-being of our people. Here's what it's costing us to not actually put people and rest at the center of our DEI. For individuals, it's costing us our mental health, our confidence, our jobs, our economic well-being, our physical health, our relationships both in the workplace and at home. And for some of us, it's costing us our lives. Again, I mentioned that there are clients I know, you know, at least four who've had a stroke, but that doesn't speak to all the other staff that I've met who've gone on stress leave and other types of medical leave because the demands of their job were unsustainable by any credible neutral source. And beyond the personal toll that this grind culture is taking out on our people, it's also costing in organizations too. There's employee turnover as people quit or go on medical leave. And then there's the recruitment cost of having to replace those people. There's training cost. There's the cost of destabilizing teams and the organization when your workforce is constantly shifting. And there's a loss of productivity when it takes anywhere from three to 10 months to replace employees. And then there's the brand damage that happens when you become known as an organization that's not taking care of your people. Now, I mention this because I'm often in places where I'm told, you know, well, what's the business case for this? As opposed to why is this not a personal issue? And I want to say very clearly that we should care about this because of the personal cost, not just the cost to the organization, but I, I list them both because I think it's important to know them. But I want to make sure that it doesn't land as if I'm trying to describe the business case for human rights. And that actually is a podcast topic for another day. But here's the bottom line I want to say. I've been talking about how we need to step into the call to lead diversity, equity, and inclusion from wherever we are in the organization. I do believe that's true. All of us are a champion for this change we want to see. And yet, I also know that as we take on more responsibility, especially when we're coming from a place of purpose, we run the risk of taking on too much. And this is what puts us at a risk of burning out because we care and it's easy to do too much when we do it from a place of care. And as we work to make our workplaces more human and more people-centered, 
we have a collective responsibility to make sure that we're taking care of people. And we're people too. So if you're leading DEI, don't just think of the other people out there. It also means you. You have a responsibility to take care of you. The fourth thing I want to say here is that one of our biggest DEI strategies then is that we have to interrupt and prevent burnout. Okay, so what do we do then? All of this can feel so heavy. What can we do then? Well, this is the thing about DEI work. It is heavy and it is a lot, but it's not insurmountable. It just means we have to acknowledge the challenge and then make a strategy to do something about it. So here's what we can do. One, we have to be honest with our bodies and what we need. Are we tired? Then we need to rest. The other day I had a to-do list with honestly 10 things on this to-do list. But when four o'clock came around and I just paused because I felt so tired, I thought, well, maybe I need to stand up and walk around. And I was still tired. And then I thought, well, maybe I need to go get some water. So I got up and I got some water and I was still tired. And so I came back to my team's project management to-do list And I saw all the things I had to do. And I thought, well, if I just put three more hours in, I could just knock this out. But my body said, no, we're done. And so my body won. And I went and I took a nap. And when I woke up, I had dinner. And then I said, it's time for bed. It's this discipline, though, that has been built from my own community of practice that honors the body and rest. But This is the second thing we can do, is we have to choose rest and balance for ourselves. So in episode one, I talk about how I had an employee that said that she was going to choose to end her day at five o'clock. And I had another client employee say that, well, they were going to take a lunch break. And both of them said they were going to do these things to choose rest and to choose balance even though it felt guilty to say that out loud. They both spoke of the guilt attached to choosing rest and balance. So I invite you to hold those two things, that even if it can feel guilty, that what we have to do is still choose rest and do the first thing, which is honoring what our bodies need. The third thing of what we can do is in our DEI work, we have to start to explore why people feel guilty for taking breaks and taking care of their bodies and for stretching. This is deep DEI, anti-racism, decolonizing work. But what I can share with you here, and this is more training that I'm going to need to do in the DEI dinner party, which is my membership-based learning community for those leading DER, where we can really explore these topics more deeply. But what I can share right now is that This guilt is rooted in the foundations of our economic systems. It's rooted in how we think of workers. So when we're not working, we're not producing, we are not on the clock, we feel guilty because that's how we've been trained to think and to feel. So if you're doing DEI work and you feel guilty for taking a rest break during the day or taking your full lunch break or taking a two-week vacation that's in your contract and you don't check your work email, the invitation is for you to explore this. This is a step in your DEI and decolonization work. 
And I really invite you to do that because what you will find on the other side will inform how you lead DEI inside of your organization. The fourth thing of what you can do is in your meetings, I want you to ask people what they need. Check for access needs. If people didn't eat, they need a restroom break. They need to stretch. Do those things. Delay the start if needed. Cut your meeting early. You know, we aren't taking care of people in the very big ways. And so these meetings provide an opportunity to do it in small ways. The fifth thing that you can do is to name how grind culture is showing up and challenge it. Too often we accept grind culture. Well, that's just how it is. That's how we work here. We're very busy. We're high performers. We accept it as the norm. I've recently facilitated um, an all-day retreat with a client, and we mapped all the ways that grind culture shows up inside of this organization. And from every level of the organization chart, people were disheartened with how bad it had gotten and how much employee well-being was threatened. However, in telling the truth and seeing how grind culture was alive and thriving, they could then commit to making the changes required to actually center employee well-being. So a key step is to name how it's showing up and that you don't want grind culture to be your dominant organizational culture. And that's the sixth part, is to have conversations about it. I think too often organizations, especially leadership, are afraid to talk about these things because there's an implication that leadership are bad people if there are any parts of your culture that aren't perfect. But we live in an imperfect society and an imperfect world. So by design, our organizations are going to have imperfections. So when we can detach our character, our value, our ability to be a good leader if we can detach that from the, the idea that grind culture might be present inside of our organizations and instead almost approach it as like an anthropologist and ask the questions, is grind culture alive here? And if it is, do we want it to be? And if not, what do we want to be here? Those kinds of conversations can be very much um, both healing and also opportunities to get to a place where people um, have more well-being than not. Here's what I have learned as a recovered workaholic and someone who has always been passion-driven. And so I didn't know the signs of being a workaholic and being in the grind because it felt like, well, it's my passion. I love it. I've learned that rest practice is easier it's easier to build when you do it with a community that also honors those practices. At the start of this pandemic, I started to slip into a grind culture myself, even though I run my own business. You have to remember that in 2020, there was a huge demand for DEI work. There were so many people reaching out to me to hold group coaching and communal spaces, to, to train them, to help audit their culture. And I, I was so, I guess, honored. Uh, and I was so purpose-led that I did and took on 
way more than I needed to. Luckily for me, I have my own community of practice of like-minded collaborators who honor rest. And one of them had a protected lunchtime from 12 to 1. That's my woo. And woo, uh, she had kids. And from 12 to 1, Wu had to protect that lunchtime because she had to cook for her kids. And since she and I could not cook during that time, it meant that I had a protected lunch break from 12 to 1. And so I figured, well, I guess I'll eat too. And what that did was that it required me to keep the same block of time free that Wu did. And so I didn't work during that time. And then I began to eat during that time. And then I began to go outside during that time. Maybe take a little bit of a nap during that time or play in the garden during that time. But it allowed me to have an expansive one hour of time in the middle of my day just for myself. To rest, to restore, to eat, to play, to dream. And what I learned is that over the next three months, this became such a rooted part of my day that my clients knew they couldn't reach me from 12 to 1. And many of them began to adopt their own protected rest practice as well. Many people leading diversity, equity, and inclusion love writers like Trisha Hersey of the Knapp Ministry, who advocate for rest as a form of resistance against racism, colonization, and worker exploitation. They love the beautiful writings on rest and healing of Octavia Rahim, who I'm just getting an opportunity to know myself. Yet we have to move beyond this rest movement as beautiful words. The way that these writers and others who come before them talk about rest is as an actual call to action, underscore action. And this is radical because there's a disruption attached to that call. It's a disruption to the grind culture that doesn't actually want us to rest. It can't function if we take time to rest. And this is the truth that I'm committed to sharing with everyone who's leading DEI and who joins me in the DEI dinner party, because we cannot do DEI within a grind culture and be doing DEI with integrity. It's just antithetical. This is what happens when we build a resilient practice. When my clients began to take their own rest practice after seeing me take mine, it was proof to me that when we take action, we begin to model a new way for others. This is leadership in action. And this is why I've been saying that we are the change that we've been waiting for. We don't just want to tell people to rest more. We want to show them how. And they will rest because they will see us doing it. And they will see that resting has brought us more clarity, time to innovate, time for repair. It's brought us repair and healing. It has connected us back to our senses. It's also just given us time to disconnect, disconnect from this grind culture before we're ground 
just ground all the way up. Creating unique recipes for how people can experience dignity and also thrive at work is a mission that involves and requires all of us. If you felt moved to take action through this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with the people that you know are gonna benefit from it. The more dignity and respect that we can build into the workplace, the more we can create the kinds of environments that foster and celebrate our humanity. In this episode, we spoke a little about my new membership, the DEI Dinner Party. The DEI Dinner Party is for people who are leading diversity, equity, inclusion, well-being, and culture change inside of their organizations. It's for people who are looking for support, strategies, tools, and resources to help them be successful as they work toward building workplaces where people can thrive. By joining this membership community, you'll be able to build the skills to lead, to sustain your DEI efforts, to save money on DEI trainings and initiatives by getting exactly what you need all in one place. And that conserves energy. And you're gonna have access to a joy-centered community of peers that can assist you in your DEI goals. To find out more, go to recipefortransformation.com slash DEI dinner party. The link is also available in our show notes. Here's the thing, you can't sustain DEI in your organization if you aren't sustained. And the best way to do that is by building communities and places where you are supported and not alone. So I want you to join me and join the DEI dinner party and a community of leaders just like you to amplify your leadership and join forces to change the world.